Welcome back into the screening room, sounding a little different this week, a little a little naked this weekend, <laughs> uh, and we'll explain. That sounds cold. It does. <laughs> Welcome. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from madwolf.com. And yeah, maybe you're like us and in the middle of a deep freeze right now, and I think that's probably the reason that the studio that we record this in has no internet service, None. which means I cannot access any of the sound effects or the sound files or anything like a little intro or all the uh, trailers and things like that uh, that we usually use for the podcast. So it's just us. It's just us today and the schlocketeer. We'll, and the schlocketeer. We'll, we, we will be able to check in with the schlocketeer, but uh, we'll still talk about the movies, the new releases this week and have a good time doing it because usually, I think every other year... Christmas Day is maybe the biggest movie-going day of the year. Yeah. Now, I think it was thrown off a little bit, even before the weather, because it's on a Sunday. And so we really had no new movies opening on Christmas Day like right. we usually do. Right. But we have some big ones opening this weekend, so let's talk about them. First up is the latest adventure for Puss in Boots. He discovers that his passion for adventure has taken its toll. He has burned through eight of his nine lives, and he sets out on an epic journey to find the mythical last wish and restore his nine lives. This is Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. You asked me the other day, how many have there been? I believe that this is the third Puss in Boots movie, and also Puss in Boots was in, I think, the last two Shrek movies. Right, so it's been a few. Yeah. And, and still voiced by Antonio Bandadas. Perfect. Just perfect. You and know, it's surprising, you were surprised, we're both surprised, how much, how good this movie is, and it's probably, uh, deservedly so, going to be nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, it's crazy to me. I didn't even want to see it. And you know what else? I think the trailer does not do it justice. It's so it's so much better than the other two Puss in Boots movies, and it's, it's one of the best movies in the Shrek franchise. Yeah, I didn't have a lot of interest in it either, I'll be honest with you. But uh, so it's it's a big surprise, but a, a good surprise. Yeah. Well, it looks gorgeous. I mean, it really looks stunning. But also, you know, it, it opens with the Puss and Boots antics that you've come to expect uh, where he's, you know, he's slaying dragons and dancing and romancing and, <laughs> you know, drinking milk and being funny. And then he realizes that he's down to his last life. And it's, well, first of all, Antonio Banderas, he should voice something in every cartoon. He's, you know, he just nails it. Yeah. He's so perfect with that. And it's a good character for his his type of voice work, yeah. It is. But then, you know, once he's down to his last life, it was like um, in the in the last Toy Story. Yeah. Where, where the whole movie was just... You know, once, existential. Yes, once Woody didn't have a, a kid to take care of anymore, he just was full of existential dread. Yeah. That's you know, and it's so relatable. Like we didn't see this coming, We're, right? <laughs> and it's it's fascinating. Um, and you know, and it doesn't it doesn't like pander to children. I mm-hmm. don't think children will have a hard time following it. But there is literally death is a character that is chasing Puss in Boots as he's trying to, and then there's the adventure where he's trying to get the last witch and wish gets to it as is. His ex-girlfriend, mm. Salma Hayek, of played course. by Salma Hayek, or Kitty Softball. She's also trying to get the last wish. And so is Goldilocks and Three Bears, which is the best part of the entire movie. So Goldilocks is um, Florence Pugh. And the Three Bears, so Mama Bears is Olivia Coleman. Olivia Coleman can make me laugh and cry. Yes. Even if she's not physically present in a movie. She's, she's so great. She's so perfect. And then Ray Winstone is is Papa Bear. I love Ray Winstone so much and his voice is perfect. So mm-hmm. and then um and, and John Mulaney plays uh Jack Horner. It's funny, it's weird, it's very, very, very weird, but it's really funny and smart and 
kind of touching and emotional. I mean, I was, I was, I was floored by how much I enjoyed this movie. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely one that is getting more attention, and I think right now it's it's such a crapshoot guessing what's going to make money. But family films, yep, often do well, even when other movies don't, and especially with the good reviews and hopefully good word of mouth. Now, I know the weather around the country is probably going to affect the box office this weekend but hopefully this one has some legs because yeah surprising maybe we shouldn't have been surprised but we are yes uh and definitely we're getting ready to vote well you've actually you've already put in your nominations for our our local uh film critics group i have yet to do mine but but definitely on there and there's been some good animated films this year great year for animation yeah and that is definitely a good one up puss in boots the last wish good one out in theaters now should we make the little usually we have the sound effect the clapper board so let's do it that's that's our scar cue to move on. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is a tale of outsized ambition and outrageous excess. It traces the rise and fall of multiple characters during an era of unbridled decadence and depravity in early Hollywood. It's Babylon. Well, this is the latest from Damien Chazelle, Whiplash, La La Land, First Man, and he's he's got a, a vision that's bigger than ever here. This is a big movie, and it's a large movie. It's over three hours. It's a big swing at so many things, and for the most part, I think it's it's a successful swing. Uh, not not everything, but the good thing when you're talking about a movie that's over three hours, it doesn't bore you. No, it doesn't do that. And sometimes you can be even more bored by a ninety minute film than you can be by a good three-hour film that keeps you invested. And this does. Even though everything doesn't work, man, there there's a lot going on, especially even right from the first 15 minutes when there's an elephant in the room, and I don't mean that metaphorically, <laughs> there's a real elephant in the room. It's brought into this crazy party in 1920s uh, Hollywood where all this depravity is going on. And that's really what the movie is. It, it's, it centers down to three characters uh, played by Brad Pitt is the silent film star, Jack Conrad, and then Margot Robbie is Nellie Leroy, who wants to break in to films and be a star. She's convinced that she is a star. And then Diego Calva is Manuel Torres, who wants to get in the movie business, mainly on the production side, just any any way he can get in. And that's how he gets into this party, because he finds a way to deliver this elephant up the hill. So he's <laughs> useful. And so the film tracks their trajectory in the silent films in the in the late 1920s, and then once the talkies come in, that changes everything uh, on how these uh, how these characters adjust. And it's it's fascinating because it's what it ends up being, and this I think goes hand in hand to the conversation that we were having last week with Avatar. Damien Chazelle seems to be saying he knows. This is there's a crossroads right now for the movie business, and he, he doesn't pretend to know what's going to happen or where it's going, but he's taking this time to salute the people behind the movies mm-hmm. that make the movies mm-hmm. that live and die by the movies that are sometimes successful, that are sometimes chewed up and spit out mm-hmm. by the movies to salute them and to salute the magic of the movies, even though there is definitely moments of there's times of shame uh, in the in the history of movies. But uh, just salute the whole thing. A big hooray for Hollywood and the people that make the movies. And we've seen recently more than a few directors reflecting on movies. Oh, yeah. It's uh, been and, a and big their love year for that. A big year yeah. for that. And nope. This, nope was all about yeah, movie making. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, The Fablemans. Yeah. yeah it's it's yeah. a big, movie, There's a big lot year of that. for that. And this one, this was not so much of an autobiographical statement sure. because it's set in the 20s. But it's still very much so, you know, uh, Brad Pitt's character, Jack Crawford, talks about how 
They have to, we got to innovate. We got to move forward. And then when they do with sound, he has a real tough time becoming a star in talkies as well. And the performances are fantastic. Also, Jean Smart, she plays uh, a very influential gossip columnist. Very good. I could see her maybe getting some some possibly supporting award um, attention. She's very good. And also, Jovan Adepo plays a, a, a horn player named Sidney Palmer, who breaks out of the band and gets stardom in movie musicals. And as an African-American, he finds that even that stardom is not going to protect his dignity. I like that side plot a lot. Some surprising, nuanced emotion in the middle of all this big extravaganza going on in the rest of the film. That worked very well. All the three leads, Pitt and Robbie and Diego Calva, are fantastic. The It looks great. We've talked about some of these movies lately that have just, I mean, the, the shots that are assembled, crazy. That first one through the party, very reminiscent of something that Scorsese would do in Goodfellas or something mm-hmm. that uh, Boogie Nights, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. A, wi- a winding, long shot as it brings you into the world that they're, that they're living in with this crazy party. It's, it's wonderful to look at. Another good one to see on the big screen. And by the way, since we're talking about that conversation we had last week about Avatar, I want to say thank you to Brent and to Nathan. Nathan. They both uh, chimed in with some really good thoughts, some really good comments after listening to our talk about Avatar last week and how the pros and cons of spectacle and what might happen if Avatar does really well and how we don't want to see these movies that aren't spectacles disappear from the big screen. Yeah, and um, you know the thing is, uh, we, one of the things we were talking about... Uh, you know, <laughs> progress just doesn't move backwards. And I feel like um, it's it's not so much the technical wizardry that moved us forward. It's that, you know, a pandemic changed people's habits. And I don't see a lot of those people changing their habits back. As you've been saying, we've been moving in this direction in terms of just who goes to see, you know, it's superhero movies and it's big, big movies and that smaller movies don't get the kind of audience that they used to. But as I was saying last week, smaller movies tend to be made for adults and um, adults just got out of the habit of right. going when when we couldn't go. Yeah. And, I, you know, it's it's uncommon to see somebody change their habits back. Exactly. And we were talking too just a little while ago at lunch when we were at lunch about how it also could be very similar to how the recording industry had to react to remember when Napster came yeah, along absolutely. and the first reaction of the recording industry was to try to sue everybody oh. that was no i mean the genie's out of the bottle and you yeah. got to react to it and adjust to it so the same thing happened with publishing yeah. you know once digital publishing was was a big thing you know people who were making hardcover books had to had to react to it you have to and yeah and it's you know what i think is for me the saddest part although i love seeing movies in theaters as do i the for me i think the saddest part is that we're going to lose all of the middle budget movies because there will be nothing no way for them to get a return on their investment because you're going to have to make the giant spectacles to get people to come out and see them and then you can't make a 50 million dollar movie and then somebody make a profit on that if it's just going to go to a streamer so i that's what i'm i'm sorry about where as i feel like we're going to lose all of the you know the fablemans the she says the women talking we're going to lose all of those yeah yeah and uh well and to go back to babylon that's one of the themes that's that's uh definitely in this film that, that we're at a crossroads here with the movie business and for most of the time it does work and, and but there's some curious excess i think on Chazelle's part as well as it goes off in some 
weird directions. Uh, Toby McGuire, who's actually one of the film's producers, he shows up in a weird cameo. He's this really dark sort of character who's got an alligator in a dungeon and what's going on down there. Uh, and then just in the third act, out of nowhere, we get a montage of classic movie moments throughout the years. I mean, real movies. Mm-hmm. The tone is very unusual at times, but still, I was entertained. Right, I will say absolutely. that. And this is another one that does deserve to be seen on the big screen because the shots are fantastic and it's gorgeous to look at. So overall, yes, a recommendation. We got off the track there, but we did want to say thank you. Mainly, we want to say thank you to Brett and and to uh, Nathan for uh, getting some real good comments, real good feedback on last week's podcast. So thank you for that. Babylon in theaters now. Next up is another awards contender. A reclusive English teacher attempts to reconnect with his estranged teenage daughter, Brendan Fa- Brendan Fraser, starring in The Whale. Darren Aronofsky, you know, for me, hits hard or or misses pretty wide. And this is one that I was surprised. It shouldn't have worked as well as it did, although I think I liked it better than you did. I did. I loved the performance. Yeah, no I, I question. think people, most people who are paying any attention to the movies right now have heard of the incredible performance of Brendan Fraser, uh, co- quote-unquote comeback performance. He got a standing O at Con. He's pro- getting all these award nominations, probably an Oscar nomination. He's stupendous. Yes, he is. He is stupendous in this movie. I think he he's leads the movie a lot. I think the movie struggles a lot of the times to catch up with him. I thought it was a little melodramatic at times and, and suffered from maybe the editing process of taking it from stage to screen. Uh, the the um, screenplay was adapted by the author of the play, Samuel D. Hunter, I believe is his name. And then, of course, as you said, directed by Aronofsky. And I think that there are times some of the other characters, especially his teenage daughter, played by Sadie Sink, and his the mother of uh, his teenage daughter, played by Samantha Morton, their characters, for me, sometimes can go in, in emotion from 2 to 10 just so quickly. Right. I just think there's something was missing here. And I haven't seen the play, but it makes me think that there was something missing. But I will say, uh, this is another fantastic uh, performance by Hong Chow. Oh, yeah. Hong She's Chow, having a hell of a year. Yeah, she is. Hong Chow plays uh, his nurse. And, and they share a connection to, without giving anything away, they share a connection to the traumatic event that sent... Charlie, Brendan Fraser's character, down the path of eating himself to death. Right. So she still comes by and she checks on him and she gives him some admonishments about how he's living and they really don't seem to have much effect, but they, they still share a friendship. And yeah, and she's fantastic. But the only thing that does seem, seem to stir him is not only the visit from his teenage daughter, but also, curiously, a visit from this young missionary from the, mm-hmm. the local New Life Ministries, played by Ty Simpkins. He has he comes into this as well. And it's it's definitely a it has stage roots. You can certainly tell that, but I think Aronofsky does a pretty fine job giving it some cinematic vision. I think he does. And and be, the other thing, everything is more or less telegraphed in this film. It is. And yet somehow, and it, I remember you saying this about Coda, which of course won the Best Picture Oscar, mm-hmm. but it was it was a formula. It's a formulaic film, and it stayed very, very close to the formula, and yet at the end, you found, you, you knew you were going to cry, you cheered when you, you know, I I ugly cried at the end <laughs> of this movie, I, and I, you, you know what is coming, you yeah. absolutely do. You don't have to be a veteran film critic to know what is coming. I knew it was coming, didn't matter. Yeah. I sobbed. Yeah, and that, I think, goes back on his performance. Oh, absolutely. Because- yeah. His his face, his you you just you can read it the soul deep pain, but yet the hope for some sort of redemption. 
You can read it in his face. I mean, he is under a lot of prosthetics and makeup. Pretty pretty effective. Effective, yes, I think so. Pretty too. effective. And there is the ever present and you know, pretty obvious uh, metaphor about Moby Dick, but the way it's brought into the film because he's a composition teacher, yeah. I think feels okay. It feels organic that they're not really going too far, uh, you know, too heavy-handed with it. I did think sometimes um, the Aronofsky's camera flirted with maybe fetishizing the shame of his lifestyle. I thought that, you know, that was a little bit of a detraction for me, but I just thought it was a little too manipulative of a narrative, although I agree with you. The, the ending, even though you see it coming, yes, very effective, very emotional, um, and that really goes back to uh, Brendan Fraser because he is fantastic in the film. If he gets nominated in all the awards, he will deserve them. He's, he's just great and really makes it worth seeing. And I don't think it's a bad film at all. No, I don't. I just no, think his, he's, his performance is, yeah. is, is really the thing to see. And I think right now it's between him and Colin Farrell. They're the two. Oh, they're the two to beat. That's tough. Yeah. That is tough. But uh, but Frazier is great in this, and and even though uh, it's it's like I say, it's not a bad film. I don't think it is. He's the main reason to see it. Uh, fantastic in theaters now, and it's called The Whale. Next up is a joyous, emotional, heartbreaking celebration of the life and music of Whitney Houston, one of the greatest female R&B pop vocalists of all time, tracking her journey from obscurity to musical superstardom. It's I Want to Dance with Somebody. Well, that's the synopsis on IMDb, and it's pretty good because, really, this movie does seem like a celebration. That's the the aim of the film, is to celebrate her life and her talent, and it does a, a pretty good job of that. It was directed by Casey Lemons, mm-hmm. uh, who's definitely done some, you know, Back to Eve's Bayou. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, Harriet, yeah. She's and a, Harriet, she's a yeah. very solid director. Yeah. But another thing that got my attention was the writer, Anthony McCartan, who has definitely written some good films, uh, The Two Popes, I think, among them. But uh, he wrote Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. And uh, anybody that's listened to us for a while knows how we feel about Bohemian Rhapsody. And I know people love it. That's great. Mm-hmm. It was nominated for an Oscar. Fine. It's not a very good film. It's not a very good story. It's not a very good believable biography. It is is, is button pushing and playing it safe of yes. a very worthwhile subject in a movie. And then, as we've said before, just a few months later, Rocket Man came out. And like, there. That, there's how you do that's something. That's a musical biopic But anyway, right back to this film. It's better than Bohemian Rhapsody. It is. It does just check off, like you're checking off a list of things that happened in her life. That's that's one of the detriments. Sort of the Wikipedia page right, biopic. Right. Now, it did pleasantly surprise me by it. It did address some uncomfortable, possibly uncomfortable elements or issues in her life that have gotten some some discussion and controversy over the years. First off, with her relationship with her longtime friend, Robin Crawford. There were always whispers about their relationship, so it definitely goes into that, goes into her very tumultuous relationship with her father and how he managed her money, and, of course, her drug use. So it doesn't shy away from it, but yet, like everything else in the movie, it just moves right on past because it seems to have a checklist. We have to go. Now we go here. Now we go here. Because even though it doesn't start with her birth, it pretty much starts when she's just stepping out of her mother's shadow from backup singer to becoming her own her own uh, vocalist and then taking it from there and just tries to cover every little thing in her life, which is a lot. And it's two and a half hours as well. And while you're covering all that territory, you're taking the time to really show a number of complete song performances, not just little snippets, because there are some of those too, but complete performances yeah. and complete recreations of some of her famous videos. So it's very much of a celebration 
of her music and of her talent. And I think almost all of the singing is Whitney Houston. It's uh, lip sync by Naomi Aki, who plays Whitney Houston and does a very good job. It's a very good performance and a pretty good job of lip syncing. And let's face it, that voice is tremendous. And yeah. I'm not. there are times when it kicks in on some of those early hits, and it is goosebump time because she could belt it out. But again, doing that, playing the entire song the way they do, one of the that Bohemian Rhapsody did was to generate a lot of new sales for Queen songs. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I love Queen, but I, uh, I'm i reluctant to sit through two-and-a-half-hour commercials for somebody's music. Yeah, it, it really is. You feel like you're listening to a Greatest Hits album. That's why I'm saying it does sound like the synopsis of a celebration. If that's the goal, they accomplished it. So, congrats. Uh, it doesn't make it a great movie biography or anything more than just, like you said, a Wikipedia page. Uh, of things that we either already knew or pretty much had 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 heard about. It's very surface level. Very surface level. Stanley Tucci plays Clive Davis. That's never great. a bad idea. Never a bad idea. Uh, who, of course, was the music famous music executive that uh, found her and many others and guided her through her career. So, if you're a big fan, I think you're you're gonna love it because you're going to hear all the, the those tunes and uh, and really get a celebration and a salute to her incredible talent. And uh, and other than that, it's like I said, it's be- it's better than Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, <laughs> is it going to ride the wave to box office success and and award nominations? I don't know. We will see. But uh, pretty decent and a and a good job by Naomi Aki in a in a tough role. I yeah. think you know lip syncing over and over and over, which she does a lot, and makes it sound and look believable because she also has some of her facial ticks down. I guess you would say. So it's better than. I, I expect it, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, and if you're, yeah, if you're a big fan of Whitney, I think you're going to like it. It's in theaters now. Whitney Houston, I want to dance with somebody. Got a horror anthology next. When horror guru Rad Chad Buckley's funeral turns into an elaborate series of hilarious death traps, the guests must band together and use the rules of horror to survive the bloody game. This is Scare Package 2, Rad Chad's Revenge. This one's on Shudder, and it's kind of a funny idea because a few years ago was Scare Package which was an anthology of short films. And one of the things that make uh, anthologies work and make them fun to watch is if the framing device, the reason these short films are all collected together, is fun and makes sense. And one of the, um, the very best thing about the first set, the first scare package, is that all of the short films are just movies on the shelves right. of this Rad Chaz Horror Emporium. I will always remember that because we got to do... When we saw the first one at Nightmares Film Festival, and then I got to do the Q&A with writer Aaron yep. B. Koontz afterwards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'll always remember that one. A soft spot in my heart for that. Absolutely. And it's fun. And the other thing, of course, that, that makes these good is if the short films are worth watching. Sure. Um, and so uh, and so this one, we, uh, you know, I hate to spoil the frame of the first one if you haven't seen it, but in this one, we're at Rad Chad's funeral. <laughs> Well, that's so, what the synopsis said, yeah, exactly. so we're not spoiling anything. No. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so the films themselves are part of this elaborate series of death trap games that are, that are taking place at Rad Chad's funeral. And the, the short films, all of them, quite good. And all of them, each one of the short films, like the framing device, all pay homage to horror movies. So there's one... You know, it's like all of the final girls live in one sorority house and all of the girls that are going to get killed live in the sorority house next door. But it's called Welcome to the 90s. So you can expect huh, something different is going to happen. And that mm-hmm. is really very clever. Uh, you know, there's another one where a bunch of kids find a dead body 
But when they what they do with it is is and and this one's Australian as well. They take it back to the one kid's house. They take it down the basement and they try to bring it back to life, a la Reanimator. So, you know, there's a lot of that. They're very fun and clever. The short films are the framing device. It's it's funny to me because if you didn't see the first scare package. The framing device really doesn't make very much sense. <laughs> you don't know who these characters are. They've been established already, but not to you. But it's still silly fun. Yeah, lots of silly fun. And you can always go back and watch the first one. They're both on Shutter. Both on Shutter. That's perfect. Out, sh- out on Shutter now. Scare Package 2, Rad Chad's Revenge. All right, now you do the clap. Hey, weren't we just talking about Olivia Coleman? When aren't we? All right, well, here she is again. A headstrong solicitor's plan to offload her newborn baby to her sister is derailed when a vulnerable but opinionated teenager steals their taxi. It's called Joyride. Christy, Rob, reviewed this one for us uh, at MadWolf.com. And it is a charmer, as you might expect. It's an odd couple of sorts, of course. It's uh, Olivia Coleman, who in herself is odd in that she's decided that she's just going to give her baby away. And she plays Joy. She does. And Charlie Reed is the teenage boy who has stolen the car for the taxi for a number of, of very solid reasons. And they're cute and adorable and very funny together. And uh, if the but the the world they live in, which is supposed to be reality, is so not realistic that it sometimes makes the whole movie seem like, wait, what's happening right now? Yeah. Um. The the two lead performances couldn't be more charming. They absolutely could not be more charming. But on the whole, I can't say that the film, nor could Christy Robb say that the film entirely works. Olivia Coleman is. One of the things that makes her such a treasure is she can be so, well, Just we just talked about her latest uh, mm-hmm. drama, Empire of Light, so touching and, and heavily dramatic and emotional. And then when she gets kooky and funny, oh, yeah. she's just lovable. Yeah, she absolutely is. Lovable is a great word for her. She's, she's you know, I mean, she's just rarefied air in terms of acting. She really she's, is. When she does, do, she can do straight out comedy and be funnier than anybody. Yeah. You know, and then, but yeah, she brings something so human and fragile and tender and funny and weird, goofy to every role. I love her. Yeah. And then you see some of that goofiness come out. Remember when she won the Oscar? Oh, her, yeah. Her acceptance speeches, just a oh, yeah. stitch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's just great. And her latest. One of two we've had here in the next last couple of months. Uh, Joyride, and you can catch Christy Robb's full review, is up now at madwolf.com. All right, should we sing the lobby song? No. Let's just go to the lobby. <laughs> Let's check back into the lobby. Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, no doubt snuggled up by the fire, staying warm in the lobby, and ready to update us on some studio news. What's happening? Well, speaking of snuggling up amidst the winter storm that's sweeping a vast chunk of the nation, um, the David Harbour as Santa action flick Violent Night is now available on VOD, and the Knives Out sequel Glass Onion is now available to stream on Netflix. So if anyone's looking for some nice holiday watches this weekend, both of those would be great choices. I'm guessing plenty of people are. They're not going out. <laughs> no. <laughs> and uh, moving on, festival favorite micro-budget horror film Skinnamarink will hit theaters on January 13th, courtesy of IFC Films, and a streaming release on Shudder will follow later in the year. Uh, January 13th will also be the VOD and limited theatrical release for The Price We Pay, which is a new slasher film from Versus and Midnight Meat Train filmmaker Ryuhei Kitamura that'll certainly dish out some carnage. And Netflix is releasing the comedy You People on January 27th, which stars Jonah Hill, Eddie Murphy, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and David Duchovny. There's a Dutch awards uh, darling called Close that's getting a limited theatrical release in January 27th. I think that might end up being one of the foreign Oscar 
uh, nomination. Yeah, I just watched it the other night. I had a, oh, uh, yeah? a critic screener. Very good. And the young boy who stars in it, amazing. Nice. Definitely look forward to that then. Uh, there's a rom-com called At Midnight premiering on Paramount Plus on February 10th. And then Sony has shifted around a couple of dates. Their uh, Adam Driver versus Dinosaurs sci-fi action thriller 65 will now open a week later on March 17th. And then they have a George Foreman biopic called Heart of a Lion that will hit on April 28th. Nice. Uh, Disney has set a September 2023 release date for Taika Waititi's soccer comedy Next Goal Wins, which stars Elizabeth Moss and Michael Fassbender. And Warner Brothers has... We're, Moving a little farther along the line here, but Warner Brothers has set a March 24th release for Bong Joon-ho's Mickey 17, which is a sci-fi movie that stars Robert Pattinson, Tony Collette, Stephen Yoon, Mark Ruffalo, and Naomi Aki. And Universal has also set a uh, July 2024 release date for Twisters, which is a sequel to the 1996 movie Twister. Um, Helen Hunt is expected to be back. And the real surprise here is that it's going to be directed by the filmmaker who did Minari, Lee Isaac Chung. Oh, good. Bit of a left field choice there. Yeah. And the last thing I have for you is that Netflix is continuing the Fear Street series, and the next installment will be directed by Watcher filmmaker Chloe Okuno. Yeah, that's good stuff. That's all I got for you. All right, stay warm. We'll check in next week, and you can always catch up uh, on the latest news with Daniel at the Schlocketeer. Merry Christmas. Hey, Merry Christmas. All right, looking ahead to next week. Well, the last weekend of the year, so nothing comes out. Uh, they're all coming out this weekend. So we're going to use that time to talk about what else at the end of the year? The best films of 2022. And yeah. I think we're still making our list and checking it twice, Indeed. are we not? Yes, we are. We've got, I think, a good 35 to 40 films down <laughs> and uh, written down, and we got to narrow it down to like 10. Yep, we got to so, hash it out. Whoo. There might be some bare knuckle boxing later. <laughs> might be. <laughs> That's going to be tough, but find out what makes the cut. That is next week. In the meantime, yeah, keep the conversation going. Uh, we love to get those comments, especially when we dig in. You know, we dig into some of these issues facing movies right now, big screen, small screen. Uh, maybe you just like hanging at home and watching them. We'd love to hear from you, too. You can find us easily on Twitter. That's at MadWolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website with all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcasts, new episode there, ready to drop as well. That's all at madwolf.com. So hope you're staying warm, having a great holiday season. Hope you have internet. And uh, until next week, uh, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. Merry Christmas. And happy holidays.